I'll make a confession to you. I was always been reluctant for quite a while. And uh, for a lot of reasons. But anyway, um, when I got sick, and uh, anyway, God kind of showed me, and I didn't have the, I will, I'm getting the endurance back, but I couldn't do what I used to do. And it was so good. And he just showed me, well, you're going to depend on me. I hear you, Lord. So that's, if I had to title tonight lesson, I guess it'd be, who do you depend on, Dale? And I guess it had to be, you, Lord, depend on Christ. So this has been on my heart since Sunday night, and I knew I would get to it sometime. I just didn't know it'd be now. But if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 5, and kind of the beginning, Christ was really laying that out to the people. I'll read you this in chapter 6. If you want to follow, it's okay. If not, we'll be in chapter 5, verse 1. Here's what it says. Do not, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And uh, let's pray. Father, right now as we come before you, throne of grace and mercy, uh, we're grateful, Lord, that what you've given us in Christ uh, it'll never be taken away. And what you want in my life and all our lives is to realize, Father, ever more the richness and uh, just how secure and deep that treasure is. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you very simply. Uh, may this just be simple, and, and uh, it is always simple, but may it be something that just is of you and not of me. Thank you, Lord, for that beautiful music that pierced my heart. We praise you, Lord. Jesus' name, amen. When he put this in my heart, I was walking the dogs. I walk them over here. And uh, sometimes at the beach, but I'm walking them here. And I went by that empty building, and this came in my heart. For where your treasure is, there your heart be also. And I asked the Lord, I said, well, and I thought I pondered this before. Why didn't it say where your heart is, there your treasure will be also? Well, for the world, that's kind of how it works. You have the heart for something, you're going to do it. You're going to, you're going to gather it, right? The point is, he's already gathered it for us. And if Christ is truly our treasure, the word heart means, then that's where your desire will be. If he's our treasure, we'll desire him. When he spoke about that, he also talked about that you can't serve two masters in verse 24. So you hate the one, you'll, you'll love the other. You'll be loyal to one, you despise the other. said you can't serve God and mammon. Mammon in this case literally means um, the things of the world. It could be things we collect, we possess, that we desire, whatever. In Luke chapter 16, I'll turn it very quickly. It, that's talking about money exclusively. And the Pharisees were listening to him. And I'm not railing on money or anything. It's what we need. God's given it this, on this earth to live and to trust him, right? And when he, uh, this is a story in chapter 16 about the unjust steward, and he got caught up. He wasn't very good at it. 
In fact, when he got it straightened out, he still, his master was still old a great deal, but he let him go because he was faithful with the call. You cannot be so successful when you serve Christ in the world. But if you're faithful in the calling God has given you, you know what? He'll still bless you. He said, I can't dig, I'm ashamed to beg. And so what he did, he, he, uh, he called the, the guy owed his master 100 barrels of oil and said, write down 50 real quickly. And the guy owned 100 measures of wheat. He said, write down 80. And that was wise. And he said, uh, uh, he commended him. He said that the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And that's true. I mean, God has put us on this earth to live out our faith and what we have in him as a display. And also, you know, this is how we operate in this world, right? I didn't set this system up, but it's the way it is, right? Let me tell you about true wealth real quickly. True wealth isn't money. It's not anything that we just grab onto. True wealth is what it takes to sustain life. Isn't that true? He creates life, and true wealth sustains life, and he's put everything in this system. It's a closed system except one thing. It's the sun. Even the moon can't operate without it. So it's a reflection. If he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, how we operate in this world, in an unjust world, really shows our faith in who he is, our confidence in him. And so he talked about that he said that if you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, who will commit you to trust the trust of true riches? In other words, um, by the way, like I said, his master didn't get all his stuff back. But he became faithful what he had. And so, I, get, I don't want to get too mixed up in this, but I know this much. That you can blow things off in this world and just... We're called to be witnesses, am I correct? We're called to be faithful where God's placed us. And, of course, he said you can't serve two masters. He said you, can't, you cannot serve God and mammon. So we're called to be faithful what he is, where he's placed us, even though I've been broke twice. I wasn't all that good with money. But God's faithful because he's entrusted me with his riches, and I come to see that more all the time. And it's encouragement to me to be faithful what he does give me, whatever he gives you. We sing a song. He talks about that, I would say it, he's more than enough because he's all, always enough or something like that. that. That always hits me when I think about Zach. Oh, by the way, Zach and guys, turn around. I forgot to say hello. And Brother Dennis is here. Say hello to Brother Dennis. Give him a hug. And keep uh, Nunzo in your heart, would you? He's on a journey right now. I think seeing a, some kids or something. Anyway, um, but the point is, uh, where your heart is, there is where your treasure will be. What you desire the most is, it shows you. By the way, as I turn to Matthew 5.1, I've never met Warren Buffett. You know who he is, right? One of the richest men in the country, and he, he owned, his son owns land down the road. I don't know if he sold it or what, Howard, and we used to sell him seed corn. 
I seen him drive down the road one time. He had his man driving him. And uh, he lives in a pretty um, nice place in Omaha. But it's not where the ultra big new houses are. He's very conservative. In fact, he's at the steakhouse called Gorats. He's got his own steak and double uh, hash browns and his poppy drinks. I think it's uh, uh, either a Diet Coke or a Diet Dr. Pepper. I don't care. But, but the point is, you know what? He's destitute. You know why? He doesn't believe in God. He doesn't believe there is a God. So his desire is in something that will end when he ends on this earth, right? So it led me to this, and I'm jumping a little bit, but anyway, we can have confidence in him even when we don't have in ourselves. And it's, he wants us to progress in this confidence in Christ. So we start at the beginning, like Newton Rockney said, some of these young people may not know this, but he was a coach at Notre Dame, successful coach. You know what he used to do with football teams? Anybody here not heard of Newt Rotney? Well, what he did with the team every year, he said, this is a football. He started with the basics. And people can laugh, but that man, he was quite a coach. So we'll start with the basics. Verse 5, after Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven at hand, because John the Baptist was put in prison. He said, seeing the multitudes, verse 1, he went up into a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him, and the people all around him, he said, he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The word poor in spirit literally means helpless. When I got saved, well, before I got saved, I was, I know God led me out in this cornfield one night in November 1994. And uh, I was walking out in this pit cornfield at night. He let me, I was look, always looked at the stars and knew there was a God. I used to go to church when I was 10 years old, a little Baptist church in the country, and I, I fell away from that. But he let me see kind of a, a, a portion of my life, what I really was it was darkness it scared me I didn't know who I was and what I was what I was doing on this earth what what this is all about in a sense maybe that's a glimpse of to the eternity without Christ hell but he showed me that in my life and that's when I finally got on my knees and I said okay Lord you know, uh, what, what do you want from me? I'll follow you. Kind of like uh, Saul. That's where salvation starts, when you see that you're, you're destitute in by yourself. And uh, the word blessed means be fully satisfied. Uh, God lets us see, really, who we are. And as opposed to what the world really is. Um, I just wrote some things down. This is going to be one of those kind of, it's all good. I have confidence in you, Lord. It's when you get real. That's when salvation comes. That's when Christ really becomes your treasure. When you come to a place that you realize that everything you've worked for 
and I did. I farmed for 30 years and paying off this land and all these machines and all those things. And I had nothing, absolutely nothing. And then I got to see who I really was. And that's also a reminder for us that know Christ because um, if we kind of lose that understanding of that, after I got saved, I went to a church. Uh, pastor wasn't born again and stepped me down and uh, said that was just for dirty sinners like you. And, of course, I said, praise the Lord. <laughs> And then I went to a church that was pretty legalistic, and I became legalistic, which is amazing if you knew where I came from. And then I began to lose that contact with that. Folks, apart from Jesus Christ, I'm destitute, and so are you. It's all we have. It's all we'll ever have. But in him, we have confidence in him. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you, right? That's what we have in Christ. He's our riches. Verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. They'll receive relief. Mourn is kind of, it's an inward grieving. We see ourselves uh, in this situation. And not only that, but we see kind of where the world is. You know, the world's in a mess. And it's real easy for me to begin to, I've been saved 27 and a half years. I'd be really careful that I don't get to a place that I'm not sensitive to what's going on in people's lives in the world. I can isolate myself off. Blessed are those who grieve and inner grief Remember Jesus wept when he, Jerusalem wouldn't turn? He wept over Jerusalem. He knew it was going to come. And I know this much, the closer we get to the return of Jesus Christ, the more it grieves me. And I, we have people that we, they're not saved in our family. And people I know around here aren't saved. And they're still trying to gather up that treasure because that's where their desire is of this world. In fact, I heard recently from, and this is not a slam to our president. I feel sorry for him, to be honest with you. But he said, this is the joy of the summer of joy. And I thought, well, where's that coming from? Our joy is in Christ, right? Maybe for the world. We mourn inside because Jesus mourns for the state of this world and for those who don't know him. It's really, these first two verses are examining how we see ourselves in this world. And then it, we continue to gain our confidence. Verse 5, he said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And Pastor Rich has talked about this. Meekness is restrained strength, right? And, uh, but it's, it's uh, <laughs> I had, when I went to night school, 
I had a man, he just passed away from cancer, his name was Dr. Allen. And Dr. Allen was a man who could write and read the old Koine Greek and Hebrew. He was translating the Bible from the old writings on his own, right? He loved the Word. He'd read the Word of God more than once a year. He loved the Word. He loved to teach the Word of God, right? And he used to be a preacher, and then it came to a time in his life and his calling that he began to teach people like me, and he did this for years and years and years for free. You know why? Because he received free schooling. So what he did, he would pour that back to the Lord. What he received, it was multiplied and came back. And there are so many people that were trained up in that, and churches were started, people became missionaries, whatever. But they never had a degree. In fact, most people never really knew how that came about. The Lord worked into that ministry. And to sustain himself, he worked in a hospital. He was, an, he was an, uh, a person who would order stuff, right? The, what do you call, um, uh, like uh, Radar O'Reilly on uh, MASH, you know, he was the guy who ordered all, what do you, anyway, supply clerk, or what do you want to call, huh? Purchasing agent. Purchasing agent, thank you so much. I, John, it took a, a smart man back there, county commissioner, tell me that. He was a purchasing agent for a large hospital and very good at it. But you know what? I've told the men this. You know, they used twice, twice he said this in class. And the second time he said it, I questioned him. And what he said was, you know, people have said if I just become full-time, I could become a great man of God. So when he said that the second time, I said, Dr. Allen, what did you tell him? He said, okay. Did Jesus Christ have to prove himself to the world? No. That's meekness. That's confidence in God. That's confidence in who you are in Christ and what Christ holds for you. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. The problem is we haven't arrived there yet. It's going to be ours. It's the world's, right? Well, God owns it. The Lord owns it. Psalms 24.1, earth of the Lord, the fullness of the world and all that dwell therein. But Satan has, he's the prince of power of the air, and there's a world system here, so they think they own it. Nobody owns it. We don't own our next breath. But he said the day is coming. Titleship right with me, right? And you've seen the signs on the pickups. I have to laugh when I see the stickers on the backs of people's pickups. I seen one one time he had this big jacked up pickup and it was huge tires and it was really pretty neat for a young guy, not for me, hard to climb in. But I kind of chuckled, he had this pickup all chromed up and all this stuff and a Young Bucks pickup. And it said, you know, you've seen the, uh, uh, well, it said those with the biggest toys, what's it say? It said, those with the biggest toys do rule or whatever. I forget exactly what it said, but uh, that was the attitude. I thought, man, if you don't know the Lord, you don't have anything. You have nothing. Absolutely nothing. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, verse 6, for they shall be filled. For righteousness, Christ is righteous, it's a right standard, but righteousness is, uh, I had this written down, it, it means to, uh, um, it's Christ's benevolence action. That's what righteousness is. Desire for that, that Lord, I would, I'm so confident in you that I would have that action in my life. I want that to play out my life in this world. It's an unrighteous world. We know that, right? And if you hunger and thirst for the righteous Christ, the action he's had towards us, he said, I'll fill you. Isaiah 55, 1 says, Ho, everyone who thirst, said, come to the waters. And, and, and uh, Rob taught on that about you don't have to buy. It's there for you, right? Milk and bread. I want to take you to the story that this brought me to in John chapter 4 about someone who needed that. They were thirsty. You know the story, the woman at the well. And Christ, of course, told the disciples, we must need go through Samaria. That's the old King James. And the self-righteous Jews would avoid Samaria. It's, it's uh, the most direct route in between Judea and Galilee. They'd cross the Jordan River, go through Decapolis and Perea. They'd take the side route, of course. I've done that in my life. Didn't want to go through the ghetto in North Omaha, so I'd avoid it. I've done that. But he said, you must needs go through there. Why? Because there's someone there that needed. They were thirsty for that righteousness. So he met the woman well, verse 7. He, Christ said, give me a drink. His disciples had gone away to buy food in the city. And, of course, she couldn't understand that. She said, verse 9, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who is it says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked. He'd give you living water. And I talked about this with the men in the back, but I don't believe I've ever talked about this in here, have I, with you guys, the rest of you, the others, right? Living water to a Jew was, it, it was symbolic of the water that came in the bottom of a well. She had a pitcher. There would have been a rope at the well. You had to bring your own pitcher. Well, how do you get clean, living water, fresh water, and a well that can become stagnant on the top? I, we used to, we had water with a, a sand point, but I drank water where people had wells and stuff fell on it, and it didn't taste good. It's impure. Living water was the purest water that came in the bottom of the well. It was fresh. It was clean. It was cold. How could she draw that? You can't. You have to go through all the rest of the water that's stagnant and warm and, and it gets, right? He gave her an impossibility on her own. And that's true for us. We were to crave something that we can't get on our own. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? She was curious. She want, you know, he had her attention. He greater than her father Jacob, who gave us a well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and livestock. See, they had their own temple. She recognized Jacob. She knew that, or their forefathers. But she was a woman caught up in life. She had five husbands. She's living with a guy, and you know what? It wasn't good. She knew she couldn't get what she really needed on her own. 
Here's what he answered, verse 13. Whoever drinks of this water thirsts again, but whoever drinks of the water I shall give him will never thirst. But the water I give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. You realize sheep don't like running water. Did you know that? They're not fond of it. The faster it flows, the less they really want to get in and drink it. Psalms 23, 1 and 2 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still water. I watch, I always I'm, like to look at how I've done, and I'm a critic kind of. of so I looked at the tape from last week, and I talked about sheep losing their teeth, right? When they're a year old, they lose the first two, then boom, boom, boom. They eight front teeth, and they get a, a full mouth or a solid mouth. But teeth come in. I forgot to tell you that. They just don't keep out forever. They get, like a baby, they get their adult teeth, right? I bought some sheep one time <clears throat> from Texas. And they were, they were uh, called button-tooth ewes. And what they were, they were ewes that had been out on the plain, the desert, and it's sandy, so they're, because they can get down low and it's pretty sparse, they're, they're nibbling low. They're right on the ground, right? They're grazing. The problem is the sand wears out the teeth, and they become like buttons. They're solid. I mean, when they get so old up around here, eight, nine years old, the teeth are falling out. They're long, right? And they become what they call gummers, and they're just whatever. They make out them dog food or whatever. But the point was, these were a good solid set of ewes, but their teeth were wore down almost to the gums, so they sell them at five years old. So I brought them in on a semi, a hundred of them, and I had these hog waters. Carlton, you probably know what hog waters are. They're the fountains that, right? And as the float goes down, the pressure in the valve goes, and then it quits once it fills up, right? That scared them. That running water and the sound scared them. That's life with people. They're scared of what the world has to offer, but it's all they've got. And so what I did, and I had to do things cheaply, there was these hog wallers out there, and they were in the ground where they used to run hogs in the old days on the dirt, and they would root out the mud holes. Now, it was covered in grass and whatnot. You know, I'm going to get a hose and run that out there, and I'll be... As soon as I started running water, and they were thirsty by the second day, I could have got a I could have got a, a tank, but they can get in there and foul it up, and they can drown. And so, here they come to the still water, and they drank. That's what she thirsted for. That's what people out here that are caught up in life are thirsting for, not the turbulence of the world. They're look. Isn't that true? They're looking for something that the world can't give them. Happy hour maybe last an hour. Maybe. And then here comes the rest of it, right? That's what he said. And he said it won't be a springing water. And it's going to come out of you. That's in John 10, 10 when Jesus said, The thief has come to kill, stone, and destroy. He said, But I came to give you life into the abundance. That's what we're talking about, abundant life. It'll not only spring up in you, but out of you. What you do, she ran to the rest. If you hunger and thirst for it, he'll satisfy you. He'll give it to you. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 5. 
Blessed are the merciful, shall obtain, they shall obtain mercy. And mercy is a character of God. It's a gift of God. You know, someone who has the gift of mercy, when they see somebody hurting, it hurts them. They're bothered by it. It's a gift. It's who Christ is. He's merciful. Isn't it true? I want you, I want you to turn to uh, a lot of stuff I wrote down. This is in Hebrews. Uh, I think it's in chapter, yeah, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 7 and 17. Let's turn there, shall we? Let's learn together. We're going to get through this tonight. We've got two, a song at the end. This is Christ. He talks about, you have made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor. You set him over the works of your hands. You have put him all things in subjection under his feet. Christ is over everything, yet he was made lower than angels. You know why? Born of a woman in the flesh. God incarnate. He walked among us as a man. Doesn't mean he was inferior to angels, but you know, angels, they don't have the bodies of a man, right? They don't walk around in the flesh. He put himself in that position. And I thought about, Lord, could you imagine being the Lord? Never had to go through the hunger and pain and thirst, never to suffer cold or heat. Go through the things that a man does in the flesh, and yet he went through that? Folks, that's mercy. He didn't stand up there and preach to us. He put himself right with us. Verse 16, for indeed he does not give aid to angels. Who's he give it to? It's us. But he gives aid to the seed of Abraham. That's us, folks. Therefore, in all things he has been made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make perpetuation for the sins of the people. He not only was the high priest, he was the sacrifice. He carried it out. Man, that's mercy, isn't it? Blessed are the merciful, they shall obtain mercy. You know what that means? You may not get it in this world, but we always have it in Christ. That's the confidence we have in him. Right? I don't know about you. Well, I know you. everybody here, I guarantee you, if you've walked with Christ at any length of time, you've seen the mercy of Jesus Christ in your lives. Quick story. You read about Corey Ten Boom, right? When she was in the death camp with her sister. And it was Betsy. Betsy was quite a woman of the Lord. So was Corey, but Betsy really had a heart of mercy. And they were in that filthy overcrowded place just horrible and it was full of fleas and lice and it was cold in the winter time and she was complaining to Betsy she said look what's going on look what God put us and she said oh Corey don't you see because it's so bad in here with all the lice and the fleas and the conditions the guards won't come in here, and we're the only ones that have a Bible. That's who Christ is, and when we begin to see that, 
and understand that. We receive that mercy, that understanding with Christ. We become ever more confident to know his heart and experience his heart. It's a spiritual thing. Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. You know what pure means? It means clean from the guilt and the pollution of sin. I don't do this so much, but there's times I'll find myself in guilt. By the way, the Lord never brings guilt. He brings conviction. That's to get us to a place that we, we need to turn, then we turn back to him because he's got so much more for us, right? It's not to beat us up. He chastens us, right? To take us further. But the enemy wants to take us backwards. And when I quoted that verse in John 10, 10, where it says that the thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy, but he came to give us life into the abundance. That's a life that's free from the guilt and the pollution and the darkness of your past. And you know what I find myself when I want to go back to things? It's because I haven't come to that place where I'm willing to surrender even further to where I don't want to. You know why people go back to people who abuse them? Because it can become more comfortable staying where you're at. This is a true story. I'm going in stories. I didn't think I'd be telling this, but I will. When we were back in Dekema, and a, here come a lady, and she was bringing a woman. She was plunk. She had this big old cast on her leg. What's going on? She said, well, and the lady brought her in. She was an enabler. She was codependent, right? So she had someone that was hurt because she was hurt. So she was always involved with stuff. And this woman, she was, she was uh, thrown down the stairs by the guy she's living with. And she was with him out of guilt because he was a meth head. And she was with him. And I don't know if she was doing any stuff or not. But she had this little baby. And it got sick. And she said, he wouldn't let me take it to the hospital. It died in the bed. Well, anyway, this woman, that's her story. I can only tell you what she told me. But anyway, she began to bloom there. I remember the day she got up on the piano. We didn't have a pianist. And she was playing like a, you know what I mean? I couldn't believe it. Like she should be on a, you know, TV. She took piano as for Art, right, for her call, right? I mean, she was like a grand pianist. I couldn't believe it. And then I remember the day she came to me and said, I got to go. I got to go back. And I said, why? She said, because I need it. And the woman took her back from the social services. She went and get her coffee, and she stole her credit card. And so she ended up buying $10 worth of stuff on it. She didn't steal that to get stuff. She stole that because it's the only way she could understand because she was held captive here. She needed to be arrested to be held captive over here, protect her from maybe being killed. Right? We have confidence in him because he's forgiven us, and that's something I always have to take it in. And you know what, Rivers, you hit on that much, and I appreciate you as a strong leader. You've hit on that. We've been totally forgiven. But have we accepted that? We don't have to live going back to that, going back to that. He wants to go forward. And by the way, this is all progressive. 
I taught this one time is like, well, you, you see, I get an F on all this stuff if you want to talk about not making the mark, but in him we get A plus, right? Amen. He's done it for us. So here's what he said. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called the sons of God. John, I, I think about you. You know why you're such a good county commissioner and, and what you've done? And I mean this. Peacemakers doesn't mean that you, all right, you've got to get together and you got to, we're going to get this all figured out. You do that. But peacemakers are such that because of their peace of who they are in Christ, even in the commotion, they instill a peace in somebody to where it can be worked out. You can't force anybody to really quit fighting, even if they stop the physical or the verbal, because they can still fight somebody in their mind. When they come to a place, we instill that peace in them. You know what? That guy is a Christian. I encountered that. I'll tell you another quick story. When I was on the farm and I was miserable back in those days, I hadn't got to the point of brokenness yet. And here come this Christian family. And they were the, it was, he was the sister of my brother's wife. And none of us were saved, but they were here in this family, and the mother and the father, and these, I think they're like five kids, six kids, like this. And then she made the clothes, they homeschooled, they're all there, and they didn't have any money, and someone had to give them a car. And, and I thought, you know what? They kept asking questions so polite, and I thought, what are you so happy about? <laughs> and you know something? I didn't know much, but I knew they were Christians. Even in my misery, I knew they were Christians. Believe me, you can preach it sometimes, even when you're not telling them. And blessed are those who are persecuted, winded up, for righteousness' sake, for there's the kingdom of heaven. You notice how it starts out with that? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's a promise when we are pretty low and don't, you know what I mean? Well, I don't amount to much, I don't amount to anything. That's a promise he gave to you. Didn't say, well, when you get a little further, boom, right off the bat. You got the kingdom of heaven. Let's go forward. Have confidence in me. But here's what he says. You're blessed when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake because guess what? We got the end game. We know the score. By the way, I like to, even though I don't watch it, I, I'm really going to be shutting some of you guys off, probably Rivers and other people. I like the Boston Celtics. I confess that to you. <laughs> Just because I used to like their jerseys and the parquet floor when I was a kid, so I watched them. The only reason, I'm from Nebraska. We don't have any of that stuff. But here's the point. You're blessed because you've got the end game. We've got heaven. Come on, keep coming. And if there's ever a time to have that in our lives, it's now. For righteousness' sake, your heart because you want things to happen right within you and other people's lives. The world doesn't want that. And he repeats this again. Persecution, it's a double thing. When he repeats it twice, two sentences, he's telling you, he's telling you, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake, for who he is, 
Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, I've been through the crowns and all that stuff, and we lay them at his feet. But he said, if you're willing to go forward to where even the world can't take you any more than they could take him, you got some great rewards. And they will. So the last two verses. Here's who we are, people. He said, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor. How shall it be seasoned? And then good for nothing but thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. He's talking about salt when they would collect it. There'd be impurities in it. And of course, if it's watered down, you end up with the impurities. You can't resalt it because it's got impurities. I can't purify you in any more than you can purify me. That's the Lord in our lives. But we can, we can, we can, I guess you might say, sometimes challenge one another and encourage one another and lift one another up. Sometimes need to be rebuked, whatever it is. But the point is, he's the one. He's the pure. He's the salt. He's the saver. He's the purifier. He's the preservative. He's the one that seasoned things. He's the antiseptic in my life. Try eating food without salt. Not so good, is it? Pretty bland, right? We have confidence in him because he's the one that has it. And the last thing, you were the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor did they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men, and they may see the good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I remember there was a time, I used to do jail and prison ministry, and I, I would tell those guys, uh, just, I said, you know, fellas, there's a time that, used to be times that just, I thought, going down this road and, I remember my family wasn't saved, and I remember it wasn't easy for me and the family. And all my friends weren't saved, except when my brother used to talk to me. And uh, you know what? You can't hide what you have in Christ. Last story, I knew a man, his name was Wayne. His father was a real hard-nosed, independent Baptist preacher. He used to beat him. And, uh, but Wayne knew the Lord. That's not against independent Baptists. I'm not, I was a Baptist myself. And I'm not saying, I'm just saying his dad was a hardcore man. And he used to, he used to walk with the Lord. And then it come a time he went on his walkabout for years. And he said, I'd go in the bar and he said, I'd have a few drinks. And they'd say, what are you doing here? He didn't tell him he was a Christian. But they knew he was a Christian because he wouldn't swear the Lord's name. He wouldn't talk filthy like they were. He was just in there to get his relief. No matter what, a man's a, a woman's a born-again Christian, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come out some way. Holy Spirit isn't going to let us hide. We can hide, but it's going to come out. And so that's the way life is. And praise the Lord. And uh, that's the confidence we have in him.
We don't have to be ashamed in Christ. We can just live our lives and shine that light, even though sometimes it could be a better maybe lampstand that it's on, but the light is perfect, right? Praise Him.